Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Dave McKechnie. People waking up on Thursday morning in Washington, D.C. must be rubbing their eyes and wondering if the previous day's events at the U.S. Capitol really happened. Images of a Donald Trump-driven mob storming the Capitol building and of America's political representatives cowering under their seats in the Houses of Congress have been beaming across America and a disbelieving world. Late on Wednesday night, incidentally, Joe Biden was confirmed as the 46th President of the United States. The current president has finally committed to an orderly transition on January the 20th, but the calamitous damage of his false claims around November's presidential election has already been done. To give us her perspective on Wednesday's events, and to try and make sense of it all, I'm joined on the line by our Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Let me ask you about your day on Wednesday, which began reporting on a large rally of Donald Trump supporters in town uh, to demonstrate against the certification of Joe Biden's election win. What was happening? Yes, Dave. So there was already a sense of trepidation, I suppose, in Washington ahead of this event. On Tuesday, supporters began to arrive in the city. And then on Wednesday morning, January the 6th, from 7 a.m., the kind of gates opened down beside the White House for this event. So I went down uh, kind of mid-morning and look, there were thousands of Trump supporters there that had gathered um, and they were waiting for Trump to address the rally. There was a makeshift stage erected. It was very like some of the Trump events I've covered. Uh, I spoke to a lot of people who travelled from all over the country. Concerned about this election. Because of all the abnormalities that occurred during the election, and Trump was far ahead in all the swing states when we went to bed, when we woke up, it was like, what happened? One woman, Carrie, she... Uh, was a practice manager in a dental office and she had driven up from Richmond uh, on the yesterday morning saying, you know, she's told me that Democrats are trying to steal the election and we're not going to let that happen. We're not going to let it happen. Come hell or high water, we're here to support our president. And Donald Trump has done everything for the American people for the last four years. He's getting four more years. And he's going to get four more years in office. I spoke to another man who had driven down as part of a convoy from New Hampshire um, and he told me there wasn't a snowball chance in hell that Biden would be become president. So it was kind of the same flavour as you get at, at a lot of Trump rallies. However, there was a difference in that this time a lot of the anger seemed to be directed at Republicans. The communist Democrats are taking over and, the, and our worthless ass Republicans are sitting doing nothing. And this theme was very much picked up by the president and his warm-up acts, if you like. So we heard from the Trump sons and Rudy Giuliani as well. Let's have trial by combat. Speaking to the crowd, riding them up before Trump's arrival, Donald Trump Jr. in particular was saying, you know, that Republicans had a choice to make in the coming hours. You can be a hero or a zero. We're all watching. Trump was supposed to speak at 11. He actually arrived about an hour later. And it was kind of another typical Trump rally. He spoke for about 75 minutes, but the timing was very significant because he was still speaking as the joint session of Congress was meeting. It's, it's very specifically set out in the Constitution that they meet at 1 p.m. on January the 6th. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. He again reiterated his basis claims about election fraud, but also uh, he began criticising as he termed them, weak Republicans. And again, intensified pressure on Mike Pence to act, saying, if Mike Pence does, does the right thing, we'll win the election. We're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. 
At that point, the crowd moved east to Capitol Hill and the rest is history. Inside the Capitol building, the joint meeting of the Senate and the House of Representatives had begun. Uh, And even before the building was invaded by rioters, it was no ordinary meeting. Is that right? Exactly. This was already a highly charged and controversial meeting of Congress because typically people just sign off on these results. The election has already happened and the teller reads the results from each state and everybody kind of says yes. There's sometimes the odd exception and Republicans have been keen to point out that Democrats in the past have, have challenged the odd result from some state. But this was never in a context where a president was refusing to accept the results of the election. It was a much, much, much smaller scale. So what was happening was already controversial. So as Trump was kind of finishing up outside the White House, the news broke first and Mike Pence had issued a statement, I got it here in my inbox, saying he was not going to object to the election results. Uh, so this was a break by Mike Pence with Donald Trump. Now, we can get into this. I mean, there's obviously an argument that you know, it's a bit late in the day for Mike Pence to be standing up to Donald Trump. And number two was that he couldn't really do what, he could never do what Donald Trump was asking him to do because that's not his role when he presides over this session of Congress. He couldn't overturn it. So he was just sticking to the rules of the Constitution. But in any event, this was kind of the drama that Mike Pence broke with Trump effectively and stood up beside Nancy Pelosi as this joint session got underway. Madam Speaker, members of Congress... Pursuant to the Constitution. Then very soon afterwards, Mitch McConnell gave a very strong speech in the Senate where he basically called out other Republicans and saying, you know, we need to certify this election. The election was fair. Donald Trump did not win. Joe Biden won. Nor can public doubt alone justify a radical break when the doubt itself was incited without any evidence. And then um, we heard from Ted Cruz. Now, he was the most senior and well-known Republican to make this extraordinary claim that the election was in some way rigged and um, had suggested that he was going to challenge the results from certain states. So he, you know, the abiding memory of what was happening in the Senate chamber just before the Capitol went into lockdown was Ted Cruz standing there telling his colleagues that, um, you know, almost half Americans believe the election was rigged. It is the responsibility, I believe, of this office to acknowledge that is a profound threat to this country and to the legitimacy of any administrations that will come in the future. And why this was a reason why we should set up a commission. And this was the reason why he was objecting to the results. Of course, never saying that the very reason most some of these Americans doubt the result is because Donald Trump is lying to them about what happened in the election. So it was shortly after that, that news began to filter in that there was some kind of problem outside the Capitol building. I'm watching as we speak, throngs of protesters climbing the steps on the western side of the Capitol. They have reached up onto the terrace of the Capitol. Um, I can see at least half a dozen protesters Then we started hearing from senators inside and members of the House on the other side, which was actually worse, uh, what was happening. Members of Congress were tweeting that they'd been told to lie on the floor, to put on gas masks, and that people on the in the House chamber, which is the biggest bigger chamber on one side of the Capitol, that there were that protesters were trying to breach and trying to to knock down the doors. so then, you know, proceedings were put on hold and then this drama unfolded that we all watched. USA! 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 This is exactly what was feared, but in no way is this a surprise. It has been fueled by the president's rhetoric. We're storming the Capitol! It's a revolution! And the scenes that then unfolded that a lot of us watched on television uh, as the invasion played out were extraordinary. 
I suppose on one level the rioters succeeded uh, on the basic level of getting their angry message out to the world. Yeah, like the visuals of this, of, of people hanging not American flags, but Trump flags off the balcony of the US Capitol were, were absolutely extraordinary. People ransacking offices, sitting on the desk of Nancy Pelosi with her feet up, uh, taking down signs that hang over the Speaker's office saying Speaker of the House. Uh, all these kind of scenes um, have been indelibly seared on, you know, the, the images of American history now. Uh, we haven't seen anything like this since, um, you know, the British conflict in, in the 1812 war, um, when most of, much of Washington was burnt to the ground. I mean, maybe the biggest, the best comparison might be 9-11. Obviously, you know, a plane did not hit the US Capitol that day, but, you know, the Capitol was in lockdown and, you know, it, it very nearly got to that point. But this was so extraordinary to happen um, that, you know, the, the members of Congress were entirely shaken with what they had gone through. It particularly, you know, and, and, and that's a lot of the analysis now that Mike Pence, one of the reasons where he may, may have decided to kind of take control of the situation because we now believe that he was the person who kind of tried to get these extra federal troops into help what was happening, the chaos that was happening in the Capitol, was because, like all of us, he lived through it. He was there in the in the chamber. They did not know what was happening. Was there a serious breach? Was there violence happening outside the door? Um, so I think this has completely changed, upended politics in Washington uh, for the remainder of the Trump presidency, obviously. But also it's opened up now serious divisions within the Republican Party about how they are going to respond to this now. It's a stunning event, but one that could have been foreseen in hindsight when you look back at a lot of Trump's rhetoric and also at how senior figures in the Republican Party enabled him. Are there signs that the Republicans are starting to turn their back on Trump now after Wednesday's events? Yeah, um, I mean, this is going to be the key question. As I said, just by a quirk of timing in some ways, we are already seeing Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell, who are very senior Republicans, kind of stand up to Trump to some extent. Um, and I think they are setting, particularly McConnell, is setting down a clear marker on where he stands with this looming civil war, essentially, within the Republican Party. Uh, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, he's a young, ambitious senator. I covered him um, during the midterm elections. I went to a campaign of his in, campaign event of his in Missouri when he was kind of a nobody and, you know, wasn't necessarily expected to win. He did win. And since he's arrived in the Senate since January 2019, has been making a real name for himself. Um, their decision to back Donald Trump's basis claims of election fraud were widely seen as, as a political calculation. Both men are seen as having political ambitions in 2024 to run for president. But interestingly, Tom Cotton, an ultra-conservative senator who's an ally of Trump, he even last week decided he wasn't going to back uh, Trump's calls to uh, invalidate the election. And he kind of cleverly argued a very uh, familiar conservative talking point going right back to the Civil War, which is states' rights. He argued that, well, actually, it's the role of states in the US electoral college system to, to, to decide elections, not Congress, and we shouldn't encroach on states' rights. So it's kind of a clever way of him justifying his break with Trump. Now, the way things have turned out, he has proved to be more savvy, if you like, um, because now, uh, you know, within 12 hours, people like Ted Cruz have completely backed away from their call to invalidate the results. Now, Josh Hawley still gave a very, I have to say, weak uh, speech on the Senate floor in the early hours of Wednesday night, Thursday morning, um, where he questioned the election system in Pennsylvania. And he did he became the only senator to kind of ob formally object to the results in Pennsylvania. He didn't for other states, but just Pennsylvania and Arizona. Um, 
But it really was a bit of a damp squib at that stage. And I think he has been really weakened by this. Um, but as I say, what we saw on the House side where you had more than 120 members still try to invalidate results is still pretty shocking, I suppose, considering what had happened and, and shows that a significant part of the party are not prepared to break with Trump. But I have to say, Dave, there is real conversation now about, you know, the 25th Amendment to the Constitution, which sets out how to remove a president. You know, I wrote and spoke about this in the early days of Trump presidency. We haven't been hearing much about it recently. But, you know, there's a there's a wistful, I suppose, hope on the part of Democrats that could Mike Pence go that other next step and actually try to remove Trump? I mean, this is his moment. And, you know, the political damage would not be that bad because we only have two weeks left in the Trump presidency. What we have seen is that certain members of the White House are beginning to resign. Again, you could read this very cynically. They were on the way out anyway. But Mick Mulvaney, actually, um, the former White House Chief of Staff, who was appointed Northern Ireland Special Envoy by Trump earlier this year, he announced on Thursday morning that he's resigning. Uh, Stephanie Grisham, the former press secretary, and then the uh, Chief of Staff to Melania Trump, who's seen as very close to Trump, she has resigned. Uh, and also people in the national security side of things. So I think that's something to watch uh, towards the end of the week to see if, if any further people really break with the Trump Trump administration, whether there are any serious attempts to really discuss this issue of, of trying to remove or censure Trump um, for his behaviour, the, the sense that his fitness for office has again really, I, I think really has seriously come back into focus now because of the events of Wednesday. In terms of the 25th Amendment, what is required to to remove the president and and, and, and how realistic is it? And I suppose it is... At this stage, given given how near to the end of Trump's term we are, it, it's, it's probably a more realistic avenue, is it, than impeachment? I think so, yes. I mean, technically impeachment might be possible, but it didn't seem to chasten the president the last time um, because senators, even though he was impeached, uh, senators, a Senate trial took place and there weren't, weren't enough votes to remove him from office, um, as, as had happened with Clinton too, in fact. But yes, the 25th Amendment, that was inserted after the assassination of, of John F. Kennedy in the 60s um, and made concerns about, you know, succession, essentially. And um, it sets out some of, of the ways a president can be removed from office. The, the vice president, it really falls to the vice president here, and a majority of the cabinet could declare the president unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Uh, and then it says that if the president disputes this, then two thirds of both the House and the Senate would vote, would have to vote to put the vice president in charge. Again, you're getting into numbers here again. Would there be that two thirds majority? It's unclear. Although what we did see again to stress is that, you know, a significant number of Republic, most Republicans in the Senate, like 93 of them out of 100, didn't follow, 93 out of 100 members in total didn't follow Trump's instructions, essentially, to overturn the election. So, you know, that would suggest that if Trump was to be impeached or if there was to be a vote on the 25th Amendment, maybe there would be enough people, two thirds, to remove him. So that's how it would work. But what definitely happened yesterday was that Mike Pence has emerged as this kind of key protagonist in the last few days in the final dying weeks of the Trump presidency. And um, he spent most, he spent the day, really, with the rest of the members of Congress. He was removed like them and evacuated when all the the chaos began. And he seems, although again, this is a lot of hearsay, but he seems to be the person who's trying to navigate the the response to law enforcement response, whereas Donald Trump appeared to be abdicating responsibility really as he sat in the White House watching all this unfold on TV. 
Let's talk for a minute about Donald Trump's response to the riot on social media. He posted a video where he called for the rioters to go home, but also praised them and repeated a few times his stolen election claims. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel, but go home and go home in peace. Given how poorly judged it was and how unhinged it seemed, and given how he still wields so much power, including the nuclear codes, of course, will that response of his give Republicans more cause to consider taking action and to curtail him in the dying days of his presidency? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Donald Trump's response to this was as telling as his involvement in inciting what happened on Wednesday. Uh, and his utter kind of disconnect from the reality of what was happening was evident in that video where he told his supporters, you know, you're good people, we love you, you know, we understand your frustrations, but just go home. Um, I know your pain, I know your hurt. Uh, also, you know, his daughter Ivanka had to delete a tweet in which she described the writers as American patriots. Now, she was trying to urge calm, but the whole uh, approach by the sitting president where his supporters, who were, you know, so visually there in the in the Capitol as Trump supporters, holding Trump paraphernalia and Trump flags and really believing that the election has been stolen and should be going to Donald Trump. You know, he didn't seem to see this as a, as a huge problem, essentially. Um, so I think this has unnerved people close to him. Um, maybe Mike Pence, like people like Mick Mulvaney, for sure, again, we could debate, you know, the cynicism perhaps of that move. Uh, but I do think that that, that has, has, has really concerned people here. Um, and even his, his the tone of his speech earlier in the day, even though I've covered so many of Trump's speeches and you do kind of get immune to them in a sense, there was this sense that this is somebody who is completely divorced from reality and is in a major phase of dangerous denialism. And I think actually one of, you know, there's so much to dissect here, but one of the more powerful interventions was by Mitt Romney last night. He gave a speech in the Senate and he's been one of the few Republicans to consistently stand up to Donald Trump. And, you know, he talked about um, how you have to accept losing. He obviously lost his own presidential uh, campaign. Uh, but he also said, you know, he, he made a very basic point that, you know, the voters who believe that Donald Trump win, won, no matter what you do, no matter how many commissions of inquiry you hold, they are never going to believe that Donald Trump lost because Donald Trump has lied to them. And he said the best way, he told his other Republican colleagues saying, the best way we can respect the voters who are upset is by telling them the truth. You know, he said Joe Biden won. Lindsey Graham, another ally of Donald Trump who has flip-flopped over the last few years, he said it too. He said, I didn't want it to happen, but Joe Biden has won. I am breaking now with Trump. I tried to help him, but it's over. Joe Biden has won. They kept trying to say this truth. Uh, and this is what happened. I mean, as you say, there was an inevitable, I felt there was an inevitability about what happened. In some way, there wasn't shock. I mean, how, how, how far does it get when words don't matter? You know, this was the physical manifestation of what Donald Trump had been calling for. And because of a lapse in security in the US Capitol, it was allowed to develop and to take place. Uh, so in some senses, you know, words have, have meanings and, you know, words matter. As Joe Biden keeps saying, the president of the United States, his words matter. And this is what we saw yesterday. Now, we've watched interviews with many Trump supporters this week uh, spouting conspiracy theories. It doesn't seem like it'll be easy to convince some of these people of the integrity of this election or indeed future elections. How do you deprogram them 
Is it a task beyond the ability of Republicans? Yeah, I mean, this is this was the Rubicon that was crossed. The idea that facts are debatable, the fact, the the idea that Ted Cruz, whose speech now, as I say, will will be poured over for you know for many years, um, you know, his argument was that he's a, a highly intelligent, trained lawyer, Ivy League lawyer. He he kept saying, you know, half the American people don't believe the election. So, you know, we need to do something about this, even though the reason they don't believe the election is because Donald Trump keeps lying to them and say that, saying there's election fraud. So rather than telling the people, actually, that's false and there's been no election fraud, he that was his justification for objecting to results. So that is a huge problem. I think the second problem in this country, I mean, I can't stress it enough, is, is Fox News and its conservative media challenge, channels. I make myself all the time try and tune into Fox News. And I did it a bit last night. There was so much going on. But like at one point I turned on Sean Hannity, who's the primetime slot at 9 p.m. The, set, the Congress back in session, he was talking about the Russian hoax. He was talking about Hunter La- Biden's laptop. He was talking about Hillary Clinton. These are the kind of things he was talking about. Uh, Laura Ingram was one of the first uh, Fox News commentators, you know, late afternoon around four o'clock when the thing was really, you know, mid-crisis. And she started mentioning about Antifa. That's a diffuse you know, group of so-called left-wing protesters, you know, somehow implying they were involved. She managed to mention them rather than Trump supporters who were obviously the people who were taking over the Capitol. So, you know, Fox News have a lot to answer for in this country. And, uh, you know, there's a moment of reckoning for the social media companies. Obviously, Donald Trump has completely manipulated Twitter. He's used that to spread his lies and his disinformation. And he's used that to bypass traditional media. And, um, you know, yesterday when I was interviewing people, there were chants of, I can't repeat what people were saying about the media. Um, you know, the media is the scapegoat here. And Donald Trump said it in a speech again yesterday. So, look, there's a, there's a, there are huge problems in this country, to be honest with you, Dave. Uh, uh, and, you know, the divisions, people talk about the civil war that, that you know, dr- drove the, the country apart in the 1860s. But... What you do have here are two set, two Americas and people with very, very different ideas of what this country should be. And they're in their media bubbles reinforcing those ideas. So, I mean, one would hope that the comments by Mitch McConnell and if Vice President Mike Pence really wants to step up and make a statement, this could be his moment to try and dispel these untruths and to just convince people that Joe Biden did win. And there was no widespread election fraud. And Mitch, as we said at the beginning, Mitch McConnell's speech before all this happened was actually very, very important. And I think he very clearly set that out. Finally, Suzanne, it seems like it happened about a month ago now, but yesterday morning in Irish time, we did hear news, of course, that the Democrats picked up the two uh, remaining Senate seats in Georgia. And for Joe Biden, that that's a really significant development. And, and I guess notwithstanding the current uh, atmosphere in Washington, he can look forward to starting his term with with a significant uh, fillip and, and a significant degree of power. Yeah, this is one of the, kind of the, the extraordinary kind of ironies, I suppose, of Wednesday's event. Um, Washington woke up on Wednesday to the news that Democrats were on the cusp of winning these two elections in Georgia. Um, and there was a real sense among Democrats of a new beginning. Uh, and of course, we know what then unfolded on Wednesday. But yes, you're absolutely right. The reality, I mean, this is an extraordinary result. I, I didn't think that they would win the two seats. The, the, the challenge for Democrats was, was that they had to win the two of them. One they may have always done, but it was always going to be a tough battle. Uh, but they did. It was extremely tight and it's such an illustration of why Georgia is such an interesting, it is literally a swing state. I mean, the votes were within the thousands 
um, which each candidate chasing the others throughout the night on Tuesday night after the polls closed. But yes, the result uh, means that we now have two Democratic senators representing the state of Georgia. Um, lots of symbolism there. John Ossoff will become the youngest senator uh, since Joe Biden actually was elected in 1973. Uh, he's aged 33. And then Raphael Warnock um, is the first black senator from Georgia. Hugely symbolic in a state with such a dreadful history of race relations. Um, but more importantly, in terms of the national picture, it's going to completely really change Joe Biden's presidency because now he's going to have a democratically controlled Senate. It's extremely tight. Uh, Democrats will just control the 50 seats and then Vice President uh, Kamala Harris will be permitted to cast tie-breaking votes. So he's still going to have to try and keep his 50, you know, Democrats in check. Um, but as we've seen uh, overnight, over the last 24 hours, there are a number of Republicans now who've had enough of their own party. People like Mitt Romney, of course, were probably more who will probably vote with Joe Biden on, on Democrats on some issues. Um, so look, that is going to completely change things. And already we see the effect of that. It got lost on Wednesday with, with so much going on, but actually Joe Biden uh, announced he was nominating Merrick Garland as the next attorney general. This was the person who Barack Obama nominated as Supreme Court, um, justice after Antonin Scalia died. And it was blocked by Mitch, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. There was a sense that if Republicans were in control of the Senate, which we thought was going to happen, that Joe Biden, you know, was less like would not nominate somebody like Gar Garland or, indeed, Sally Yates, former Deputy Attorney General, because he he would have felt that they wouldn't have got through the Senate, that they wouldn't be confirmed. Now the Democrats have control of the Senate; they've much more power now over who Joe Biden wants to nominate because the Democrats are going to have a majority so they can they can vote for Merrick Garland. So um, that's really going to kind of loosen up things for Joe Biden and allow him to make maybe more radical appointments than he might have thought. Uh, so he, on Thursday, is going to unveil these new appointments on, on the justice side at an event in Wilmington. But you're right, it, it's hugely significant and something that is going to become more into the foreground as we move out. We ultimately will move out of the Trump presidency and into the Biden presidency. Suzanne Lynch in Washington, thank you for joining us. That's all we have time for today. Thanks to Suzanne Lynch and producer Declan Conlon, and thank you for listening.